This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 229 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest this week is Kimberly Grauer. She's the director of research at Chainalysis, where she examines trends in cryptocurrency economics and crime. Kim Grauer joins us with insights on the state of cryptocurrency around the world, the cultural and regional considerations that play into adoption by individuals, organizations, and governments, and where she thinks things might be headed. Stay with us. I got my start in philosophy, actually, in undergrad, and then worked my way through a philosophy master's degree and did some public, wound up working for the public sector in in New York City. But I also got a master's degree in economics. And while I was working for the city of New York, I started to work on some blockchain initiatives and had previously written a paper on a game theory paper on crypto adoption for some of my graduate school research. And so I just was interested in cryptocurrency activity and public sector initiatives to support the blockchain industry and met the co-founder of Chainalysis one day for lunch. And we talked a lot about his company and the the need for people with economics backgrounds to get their hands dirty with this crazy large data set and that they were looking for an economist. And so I joined back um, several years ago now, about four, four years, over four years ago now. Hmm. I joined as their economist and have been working on a whole variety of research topics ever since. My main focus tends to be around trends as they relate to criminal activity, so crypto crime. And but increasingly, it's more and in, more important to understand just what are the cryptocurrency fundamentals, what are the economic fundamentals, how does crypto tie into the to the rest of the economy, what is the geography of cryptocurrency, and all of these other questions that we at Chainalysis are really well situated to answer simply because we are the best data platform for cryptocurrency activity out there. So this data allows us to get regulators and cryptocurrency businesses an understanding of if they're being compliant, but also then people like me can come in and and start to answer some of these real rigorous economic questions. Can you take us back to the early days of cryptocurrency? I mean, do do you have recollections of, of, uh, I don't know, your response to that? As these things were were spinning up, were you, was this something you were fascinated by? Um, I mean, what was your pathway into an interest in this area? I was interested in originally on the technical front and how uh, the blockchain just technically worked and how cryptocurrency mining worked and how it was this self-sustaining ecosystem of activity. And the, you know, I found it really fascinating how, the protocols were built, and I wrote a paper on whether I thought cryptocurrency could become kind of a global currency. This paper was back in 2013, 2012, so it was a very, very long time ago, and we're talking just a completely <laughs> different eco. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I found that I didn't think it could be, uh, it could overtake a, 
overtake the uh, current kind of way things are done because I thought that it would be regulated to a point where it would just kind of mirror what we are, what we currently have. But now it's just the ecosystem is in such a completely radically different place than, than what it was back then that my, of course, my, my uh, opinions have evolved correspondingly. Well, take us through that. I mean, how have things played out in ways that are different than what you had expected? I think the, I had always kind of had a, a sense that that cryptocurrency could, if if a lot of things aligned, come together and take off and become a really, really prominent asset. I definitely thought it had the chops. I thought that it could get there just based on the technology alone. But would it get there? Would people be able to take it seriously? Would would people give it the time of day that it that I felt it deserved was something I was a little bit more skeptical about? Just based on conversations I, I had with people over the years and the way that people talked about cryptocurrency, it was it was written. It was mostly written off most of the time in the early in the early days by by many people. I mean, when I when I got into the space, I think even some people kind of scoffed at it. They thought it was kind of funny and weird. And now it is viewed with much more legitimacy. And it is a very serious, very um, prominent, um, important industry. And I think people broadly recognize the importance of that and, and of the industry. And you don't have to so much justify the fact that you're working in cryptocurrency because it is it is much more broadly accepted and it's very legitimate and it and and people are much the the level the of cryptocurrency a knowledge that people has is radically different from where it was a few years ago so just engaging in basic basic conversations is is really different than than where it was a few years ago I mean, do you feel, is it fair to say that it still suffers from a bit of a, a PR problem? I mean, I, my sense is that it's it's a bit divisive, that people either have a clear understanding and respect for it, or you will still see a good amount of eye rolling when you bring up cryptocurrency. I think the interesting PR problem with cryptocurrency is something that will probably sort itself out over the years. So cryptocurrency is held to a really incredibly high bar. We are, with data, we're able to look at how much criminal activity there is exactly using cryptocurrency. You know, the numbers that we put out are real. They're not estimates. They're not, if we make assumptions about activity and people's behaviors, we're assuming that the X amount is criminal. But, um, because of all of this data, and we can see exactly how much activity there is, we can see how much cryptocurrency is changing hands, how active DeFi is, and we can start to look at this, the activity in different countries. It shines a really strong light on some of these more controversial things like criminal activity. But if you look hmm. at what's happening in the fiat world, you know, you couldn't even come close to having this level of understanding of the criminal world in, in fiat. So... It's it's blessing is also it's curse from a PR sense in, in the sense that we're we're able to do all this great stuff and see exactly how much criminal activity there is, but it's shining a strong light on it at the same time, which which kind of is this double edged sword that we're trying to navigate through. And I think right now we're in a little bit of a place of discomfort around that, and people are trying still trying to get to the point where they realize that 
hey, this is actually a good thing for criminal activity. I mean, not for criminals. It's a good thing that we can we can know how much criminal activity is happening using cryptocurrencies. But it does, you know, have the the bad side of really shine, shining light on the crime. And you know, our our annual report on criminal activity. Some people say, hey, why are you focusing so much on crime? It's giving the industry a bad reputation. And we're like, we have to do this. This data has to be out there, even though it's it means that for a few months, people are thinking about crime exclusively. And maybe that feels like it's bad for the industry, but it's important. This data is important for the industry. And, you know, in a few years, you'll see just how this is actually viewed as a good thing. Well, let's talk some about uh, the geographic trends that you and your colleagues are tracking there. I mean, what what sort of things are you seeing? The geographic trends, what we're seeing is adoption has really skyrocketed over the past year. And that's in terms of economic activity identified in regions all around the world. We've identified activity in 158 countries, meaningful crypto activity in 158 countries. Every region has at least some cryptocurrency footprint. Adoption has really grown in developing countries. Uh, Vietnam, Nigeria, Kenya, activity in Russia, Ukraine, United States, of course, um, is, is up there as well in terms of adoption. But each of these countries that are at the top of our we create a we create an index, a, a cryptocurrency adoption index that hmm. shows how we think countries perform relative to each other. The top ten countries uh, on this index, like I meant, were mostly the ones that I mentioned before, but they're all kind of driven to the top of the index for different reasons. We can look hmm. at what's happening in Nigeria. There's a lot of commerce happening in Nigeria. There's a lot of just local peer-to-peer adoption of cryptocurrency in Nigeria. And then you can compare that to what's happening in Russia, where uh, there's there's been a much more established cryptocurrency footprint, and it's much more kind of a part of a, a longer history of digital currencies and relates to trust in the banking ecosystem and the tech-savvy uh, population in that region. And so there's a lot of different factors that impact each of these different countries' adoption. Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating aspect that you point out, which is, you know, there could be um, local reasons for people, cultural reasons for people to uh, gravitate towards cryptocurrency. Yes? Yeah, that is one of the biggest findings. Um, it's probably feels pretty obvious, but there's no two countries, even neighboring countries in the same region that are alike. There are threads, common threads as to what guides adoption, cryptocurrency adoption. But if you get into the kind of the nitty gritty of adoption, you're going to be talking about regional policy. You're going to be talking about specifics of the local currency. You're going to be talking about the banking industry. You're going to be talking about who's in power and why they're in power. And so each country you know, I have, I have very unfortunately can't get into every single country, but it feels like each country could have an entire dissertation on the on the cryptocurrency economy. But we still can see these these trends, these overarching themes, and so that's why we rely so much on just charts and data, so that you can kind of go in there and see what the high level trends are and use it as a jumping off point to understand uh, what's happening in, in these regional markets and. 
you know, we'll talk to regulators who are saying, oh, we have no idea if there's, is there a crypto footprint in our, in our country? Hmm. We, and they don't know. They're, there's no, there's not great data out there. And so we, we view this as an important mission in um, educating people so that they can, they can just understand just how big their crypto footprint really is. Are there any examples that stand out to you as being unusual or surprising? You know, any nations or areas of the world where uh, folks have taken to cryptocurrency and, and perhaps, I don't know, it's, it's an unusual or unexpected reason? Okay, I think that Vietnam, I was really surprised to see just how strong the adoption was in Vietnam. It's, hmm. it's performed really well. Hot. There's a there's been adoption over the years, but it was number one on our index this year, and hmm. we wanted to figure out why that was. And so, you know, we we looked at the data. We saw that it's it's got a huge amount of just retail activity. We know that it's a remittances hub, and we talked to some local experts who actually themselves were not that surprised that Vietnam was at the top of the index because they they see how common it is how common it it is. So I think that what's surprising to me is not surprising to people who I then go present the data to. But hmm. uh, last year Ukraine was at the top of the index and I wasn't sure. Ukraine kind of got bumped down a little bit, um, be, not because it declined in activity, but because Vietnam just had more adoption this year. And it's important to realize that this index is, it's meant to relate countries to each other. So if you fall on the index, it's not to be interpreted as your crypto market is declining, but rather it's just relative to your country's population and and GDP, other countries might actually just have a slightly stronger adoption. And why such a strong adoption in uh, Vietnam? What we heard was that there is a extremely large, extremely tech-savvy young population of entrepreneurs who don't have a kind of equivalent of a stock market or an S&P or an ETF or ETFs to invest their money in. Hmm. And that this is very, okay, we also did hear about a very rigor, robust gambling culture in Vietnam hmm. that was referenced by multiple people that the gambling is extremely um, prominent. And it's, we heard stories of people putting their houses up for, um, a, taking out loans against their houses to buy cryptocurrency. So, you know, there is that hmm. combination of something you mentioned towards the top of the call of these socio-political cultural factors all coming together to create a, a, a adoption kind of ecosystem. And in Vietnam, it was the young tech-savvy people who didn't have many investment options that seem to be a good way to grow your wealth, plus kind of a propensity to gambling. And we know in terms of regulations, what we heard was that the government's not so concerned about consumer protection, but more actually capital flight. So probably a lack of consumer protection laws as well. And not to mention that Vietnam is a huge remittances hub. So I think all those mm -hmm. things come together really pushed it to the top. 
Now, what about uh, things like the recent move by China to crack down on cryptocurrency, on, on, the, on its use and, and mining? Obviously, China, a big global player. How does that impact things in, in your estimation? I think that many view this move as solidifying the country's control over its citizens' financial freedom and a way to encourage the populace to use the, you know, the beta CBDC or the digital yuan. And so cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are completely decentralized and not under the control of the government, which may actually pose an issue for the nation as it seeks to control, I guess, its constituents' access to information. And so I think that um, we can see what's happening. This is clearly a, a big move by China. We're still figuring out what the actual impact is in terms of trading activity. Prices seem to have bounced back last week, but mm. we're, we're definitely monitoring it. And I mean, I guess I guess you could say that uh, cracking down on it the way that China has is certainly um, a type of regulation that is uh, not subtle. Um, but but do you think that other nations around the world are 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 going to do away with their sort of their hands off um, approach that they've had so far? And and could that lead to a falling of dominoes? Is, is there going to is there going to come a point where many of the nations are going to say, okay, enough is enough. It's time for us to step in and and uh, have some regulation here. I I think that from what I've gathered over the years is China isn't is unique in that this is not their their first ban. And it, mm. it might not be their last. And so what's happening with China is definitely interesting. And they have chosen one strategic path in managing cryptocurrencies, probably related to their CBDC project. And But I think a lot of regulators around the world just really want to get this right. And they don't know uh, there's some, this is, this is a new technology. There isn't consensus on the best way to approach this. This, but I do think there's an earnestness to kind of get this right, to not stifle innovation, to allow this new asset class to grow effectively and properly. And the way you do that, there's a wide variety of attitudes on how you go about doing that. What, um, what policies, what regulations, should you align your policies with certain countries or should you just kind of go at your own? And um, But to answer your question directly, it, it's most likely the case that regulations are going to continue to evolve as more information comes online, as, as we deal with DeFi and stablecoins. DeFi is really blowing up this year. So that's another kind of new thing that regulators have to, have to think about. So, but underlying, the current underlying all of these changes really does seem to be like an honest eagerness to, to get regulation right for this new technology. And I suppose it, it's safe to say that certainly for the the near term, it's here to stay. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, after doing this geography report, I think that sometimes it's really easy to fo fixate on what Elon Musk is tweeting about or which investment bankers are saying what disparaging thing about cryptocurrency. But having spent several months really in the data and really looking at actual use cases around the world, people using cryptocurrency to import goods from China to Nigeria, people using them to 
save money in their remittances transfers. You seeing just seeing all of the actual use cases, the way that cryptocurrency is really driving value and and、um, picking up an activity around the world. I'm very optimistic at this point.、Uh, the geography report was an it was an exercise in optimism because there's just a tremendous amount of adoption in in countries all around the world. But that is kind of a, a different perspective than when you're when you're hyper focused on what's happening with you know certain banks or certain countries. Our thanks to Kimberly Grower from Chainalysis for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Futures Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com/intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by the CyberWire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Music